Hi, and welcome to another episode of SwitchCast, a podcast delving into the world of film brought to you by the team at Switch. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm Charlie David Page. I'm Jess Fenton. I'm Daniel Lemon. And I'm Jake Watt. It's Thursday the 7th of December 2017. On this week's show, it's the most wonderful time of the year. Blow the dust off your well-worn VHS copies of Home Alone and Die Hard as the Switch team take you through our favourite Christmas flicks. And as always, all our reviews and giveaways. Let's get straight into it with Wonder Wheel. Jess jumped on for the ride, but did it leave you with a bit of motion sickness? Yes, because Woody Allen made me do the unspeakable. I'll explain in a minute. Wonder Wheel is set in 1950s Coney Island. We have unhappy clam bar waitress Ginny, played by Kate Winslet, her alcoholic husband Humpty, who loves fishing, that's Jim Belushi, Ginny's adolescent pyromaniac son Richie, and Carolina, played by Juno Temple. She's Humpty's estranged daughter who's about to walk back into their lives after leaving her gangster husband and shake things up a bit. Their tale is being told to us by lifeguard Mickey, a grossly miscast Justin Timberlake, who just happens to be having an affair with Ginny. You know she's a marked woman. Should she move on? I know where all the bodies are buried. Did he, did he kiss you? Why are you getting so heated? I'm gonna find My head is pounding. Everything's coming apart. You look a little crazy to me. When it comes to love, we often turn out to be our own worst enemy. What it is you did. Well, don't you think you're being a little melodramatic? Do not bother with this one. Even for Woody Allen fans, for which I am one, Wonder Wheel is no good. I was so painfully bored for the entire 100 minute running time, I honest to God wanted to walk out, which is a rare feeling for me. Not a single likable or engaging character in sight. Nothing even remotely interesting happens. The glorious Kate Winslet is the most irritating thing about this movie. Woody Allen made me hate Kate Winslet. Her character Ginny is neurotic to the max, loud, relentless, shrill and pathological. I wanted to throw something at the screen to make her shut the hell up, but the only thing in reach was my poor boyfriend, Sam, who was enjoying the film about as much as I was. And this is going to sound odd, but the lighting and the colour choices in Wonder Wheel are bizarre and distracting, to say the least. I'm still perplexed by what Alan was going for there. In short, I hated Wonder Wheel, and I'm giving it half a star, because, I don't know, I think I laughed once. (laughs) Is that our first half? That's our first half star review ever, isn't it? Ever? Ever, yeah. Really? Yeah. My God. Yeah. Congratulations. I didn't, I didn't realize we did half star reviews. To Woody Allen. <laughs> no, I saw like Scary Movie 5 or something like that. Did I not give that half a star? I don't know. God, that was so long ago. Bad memories. Bad memories. Bad. <laughs> Man, yeah, you never gave that one half a star. Sorry. Transformers last night got off really easy. I didn't even realize that I could go lower than one star. I feel kind of ripped off now. I want to. All retroactively going back and know, rethinking gonna... all our reviews now. <laughs> know, right? Thank you, Woody Allen, for giving us this gift. I feel like I don't know, Charlie. Can I get like a like a plaque or an award, financial or otherwise? I don't know. <laughs> I feel like it should be marked somehow. I think uh, the privilege of knowing that you are the first half star review is is more than enough reward. <laughs> I'll really. take it. Bragging rights. I'll take it. 
So, Jess, have you seen many, like, have, like, have you seen a lot of modern Woody Allen movies? Like, have you seen much of his stuff? Yes. I'm actually less familiar with his earlier 60s, 70s, 80s work. I'm more, yeah, I'm, I'm more of a modern Woody Allen gal. Where would you say this kind of falls on his, like, sort of shitness scale? Um, like the tippy top of the shitness scale. <laughs> <laughs> the and that's peak. like, and there's a lot of shitness on that scale, like of the last last few decades. Yeah, I know. Like I haven't seen every single Woody Allen film, but of the ones that I've seen, this is my most hated one. Mm, that's pretty bad because he does his his movies can be quite bad. Yeah. No, I like I genuinely wanted to walk out, and I dragged my poor boyfriend along to see it with me, and he wanted to walk out, and he kept giving me like these like these looks saying. Can can we go? Can we go? And I was like, no, I can't because I have to review this film. And I'm like, wait, if I walk out of a film, that says something in itself. And I couldn't. I'm just so sad that I wasted all that time. A whole hundred minutes of my life. Gone. And does he get any good sort of performances out of anybody in this? Does anyone kind of emerge unscathed from, from this movie? I mean, no. I mean, it, <laughs> I mean, I guess acting-wise, I was so focused on how much I hated this movie and how horrible the characters were. But you know what? That might be a testament to it because I never saw Juno Temple or Kate Winslet. I just saw these really, really just odious characters. She has, she has said publicly rip. that she found the part one of her most challenging because she was so irritated by her own character so hearing you say that doesn't surprise me but it's a pretty staggering achievement to even make kate winslet not be good in your film like i know she's great in everything everything. even shitty films because she's kate winslet even the mountain between us i love kate winslet and he has such a great track record with um working with great actors particularly women and bringing out incredible performances in them oftentimes performances that trick you into thinking the film is actually good like you know think of blue jasmine you've got you know kate blanchett and sally hawkins being incredible hiding the fact that the film is basically a really lazy remake of a streetcar named desire and when you think about vicky christina barcelona all you can think about is rebecca hall and penelope cruz they just dominate Mm -hmm. it and when you think back you go oh that wasn't a very good film. It's quite a surprise that even in this one where he has arguably one of the greatest actors of their generation and yet mm. he's still not able to pull together a great film with Kate fucking Winslet in it. Also, mm. can I point out something? This is this is completely unrelated, but it's something that I realised after I saw the film. Um, this is, I've just written down, I've got six titles here written down in my notes in which in films in which Kate Winslet plays an adulterer. Does that seem strange to anyone? She constantly plays cheating women. Kate Winslet does. <laughs> yeah. Even, like, in a good way, like in Titanic. She was cheating on her fiancé the whole time with Leonardo DiCaprio. And, I mean, why wouldn't you? But still. Yeah, she that's was cheating. true. Like, I'm, I'm not sure Wonder what... Wheel, Mountain Between Us, Revolutionary Road, so Little Children, Titanic, and Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. She plays a cheating woman. And I always find that really interesting. Maybe it's less that she's playing. she has a tendency to play women, like, cheating women. Because, I mean, that's such a weird phrase anyway. More that she's interested, she seems to be consistently interested in characters that would be traditionally deemed unlikable or have qualities that wouldn't yeah. be seen as endearing qualities. Mm. I mean, look at the part she played in The Reader, even in The Dressmaker. Yeah, she seems to like to go for difficult characters. I mean, she says, that's one of the things that she said she found this particular character very irritating. Maybe this is finally the straw that broke the camel's back for Kate Winslet. Anyway, well, you can find my full review, if you dare, at maketheswitch.com.au and Wonder Wheel is in cinemas now. Also out today is In This Corner of the World. Jake caught this possible Oscar contender, but would it be a worthy winner for Best Animated Film? It's 1935 and Suzu, voiced by Non, is a young girl who lives in Iba, a town in Hiroshima. 
She's an exceptional artist with a vibrant imagination and an adventurous approach to life. Her pleasant childhood existence is rocked when, as a teenager, she receives an out-of-the-blue marriage proposal from a stranger, voiced by Yoshimasa Hoisoya. Life with his family in Kyo forces Suzu into a daily routine of cleaning and cooking, all while longing for her family back in Iba. Several Japanese anime films, such as Barefoot Gen, have powerfully dealt with the aftermath of Allied bombing runs over Japan during World War II. In this corner of the world is not an account of the Hiroshima bombing itself, nor is it a heavy-going war drama on par with the devastatingly depressing Grave of the Fireflies. Co-written and directed by Suneo Katabuchi, and reminiscent of many of Studio Ghibli's best works, In This Corner of the World not only looks beautiful, but its animation style plays a big part in its story. The film whips us through dreams from Suzu's childhood, some of which unfold in her own sketches, others with a sketchiness that suggests her own artistic talents are colouring the way she views the world. Even aerial battles in the skies above Hiroshima look like rainbow-coloured splashes of ink. Katabuchi's previous films are better known in the West among anime nerdlingers rather than general film fans, although he has a large following in France. But the incredibly moving and sobering in this corner of the world should be the film to change that. Four stars. So on a scale of one to Grave of the Fireflies, how much is this going to be an emotionally devastating experience to watch? Um, So I'd say like, you know... I guess if Grave of the Fireflies is five out of five wartime atrocities, I would say this would probably be, I don't know, like maybe three, maybe like kind of like a mild pogrom or scourging of the countryside or whatever. It's it's pretty sad. Um, it's But like the majority of the film is like, mm. is, is a drama. So it takes place in Japan, um, you know, ground level. And it's just the sort of day-to-day life of a farming community. And then... Um, yeah, you know, there's just these kind of vague hints of stuff happening in the background, and um, it's it's the war basically, but they they don't realize it until they're being bombed, which happens like you know much later in the film. It sounds like it has elements that mix you know Miyazaki's The Wind Rises with a bit of the tale of the Princess Kaguya a bit. Yeah, um, probably not quite as like accomplished in terms of the overall like aesthetic of the movie. Mm. I mean, like, that's some pretty peerless stuff. This one's more obvious that it's based on a manga. Oh, okay. So it's, like, tons of, like, tiny moments all kind of glued together, which was, like, pretty much the only thing which prevented me from giving it, like, a full, you know, five out of five was the fact that if you, you know, blink for two seconds or look down to stir your coffee or or whatever, you're going to miss, like, about five different little segments of the film because it just, like, Mm. it, it goes through so quickly. But, um, yeah, just, it's, like, totally absorbing. And um, I, like, sort of never um, cry um, at all, generally, um, because I'm made of steel. Because you're a man, mate. Um, this movie you're actually, uh, towards male. the end... You don't cry. Old yeller. What the fuck is that? <laughs> I don't like to brag, but, uh, but towards the end of this movie, like, it does uh, get pretty... Um, not, you know, fireflies, you know, sad, but um, that, because that to me is, like, too much. That's, like, sort of, you know, that movie is, like, so sad. You, you watch it once, you never want to watch it again. You don't even have to wait to be sad in that. It happens in, like, the first five minutes. It just happens, and you're like, oh, fuck, I'm broken <sighs> as, a, yeah. as a soul. Thank you for that. Exactly. It's kind of like a bit of an endurance test of a movie, um, which, I guess, is the point of it, because you're supposed to sort of um, really empathise with these kids who are enduring this wartime environment. But anyway, this movie is way more easy to watch than, than that, but post-aerial um, bombardment mm. when, and post-atomic um, you know atomic bomb drop, uh, when they're sort of picking through the kind of the devastation and um, trying to work out what's actually happened to them. Because uh, these, are, these are just like sort of regular civilians. Um, that's when it gets like sort of pretty sad and it's like, oh, this is kind of grueling. But at the same time, it has like a really nice message because it's uh, the overall message towards the end is that um, Japan's mm. so, like society is like so strong that even in the face of this kind of horrific damage, these people are still like 
their community. Even when it happens, they're not even too sure what's happened, but they all start sort of banding together to help each other out. And It's quite beautiful in the way in the, the, the anime films that Japan makes dealing with the Second World War and the bombing of Hiroshima always seem to have a tremendous amount of grace to them. Like very gentle, beautiful quality mm. to them. So yeah, that it, all this makes it this sound very exciting, very very exciting. So Jake, you've expressed the fact it's quite a heavy film. You also expressed the fact that it's quite a good film. You gave it four stars. Um, it is one of twenty six animated features that have been submitted for the twenty seventeen Oscar category, as I mentioned in the intro. Um, oh. And it's up against films like Boss Baby, Cars Three. <laughs> Captain Underpants, the first epic movie, uh, Despicable Me 3, and uh, at its peak, the Emoji Movie. How do you think it will compare to the likes of those? Look, man, I already had my my heart crushed when the Red Turtle mm. got beaten by Zootopia. So um, my, my heart's pretty hard. Like this, this is like the best animated movie I've seen all year. Do I expect it, you know everyone else to kind of appreciate that? Probably not. Um, as I said, um, you know, Red Turtle being beaten by Zootopia. I'm well aware of this pretty shitty dystopian society we live in. Japanese anime has not fared well with the Oscars. It like they always like realistically The Wind Rises should have beaten Frozen and Princess Kaguya should have beaten Big Hero 6 and Red Turtle should have beaten Zootopia. I mean, yeah, it's just they get nominated but they, they really it, it's they, mm. you know, the big ones always kind of take it out. In this corner of the world is in cinemas now and check out my full review at maketheswitch.com.au. Also out today is The Secret Scripture, starring Rooney Mara, Vanessa Redgrave, Jack Raynor, Theo James, and Eric Banner. It tells the story of Rose McNulty, a woman who has spent over 50 years in Irish state institutions, and Dr. Green is compelled to uncover her past and help her find freedom. Rose, I want to hear your story. 1942. When the war came to Belfast, out of the sky he came. Over here! Come on! We have to go. It was like stepping into a fairy tale. You're not from around here, are you? Are you a policeman? I'm not. I'm pregnant, Father. She was in the car with the priest, you know. They're saying it's the priest's baby. The Secret Scripture is a story of love, lost and redeemed, set against the backdrop of an emerging Irish state in which female sexuality and independence unsettles the patriarchies of church and nationalist politics. The film is brought to life by six-time Academy Award nominee and acclaimed writer-director Jim Sheridan, based on Sebastian Barry's Man Booker Prize winning novel. Uh, so this has an amazing cast. I'm a big fan of Jack Rayner and um, go Eric Banner. Woo but before we started recording this podcast, we were all talking about it and we we're discussing how this film, like none of us have actually seen it, but this film definitely is going to straddle the line between good and bad, where it could it could go yeah. <laughs> it can go it can go down the, the, the bad road or the good road. The caliber of the cast is pretty impressive. Um the caliber of Jim Sheridan's obviously very impressive. The story does sound really interesting, but it also sounds like it could be a complete wet rag, like a mess. Has anyone seen a poster for this? Has anyone seen a trailer playing on TV or in the cinema for this? On Instagram, actually, quite a bit. Transmission, I think, is releasing in Australia, and they've been pushing it a a little bit on social media. Uh I have noticed it popping up a lot more than I would expect. I was going to say, Jim Sheridan has done some, like, pretty amazing Irish movies, like, especially with, like, Daniel Day-Lewis. You know, My Left Foot, In the Name of the Father, The Boxer. Mm. Um, He did, like, a really awesome uh, movie with Paddy Constantine called um, In America. 
So the guy is like mm. a fantastic filmmaker. Then again, one of his last movies was Get Rich or Die Tryin' with 50 Cent. Yeah. And this really shitty remake of the um, the German movie Brothers. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. This is kind of like one of those ones where it's like you have like a director who has an awesome body of work behind him, but his last few films have been like ultra shithouse. So oh, this God, could fall. I remember seeing that way. movie. That was terrible. It was com- like not at all what <laughs> yeah. I expected it to be about. Anyway. But returning to Irish form, maybe maybe it's a good thing. Maybe it maybe it's a positive. Because mm. I mean, all those films are some of the foundation stones yeah, of what we now think of oh. as modern Irish cinema. Like the, that, you know, films like My Left Foot and In the Name of the Father. Are, you know, yeah. they're they're this acknowledged mm. classics. Have you guys seen In America? It's one of the most beautiful films. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, it's worth a squiz. A squiz. Yeah, I like squiz. <laughs> I like hearing Jake say the word squiz. <laughs> I, I, I say it way too much. It's up there with his uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if you're in the mood for it, Get Rich or Die Tryin' does have some comedy value if you are, you know, are into the music of, of 50 Cent. <laughs> and more, want to know more about the main streets upon which he grew up upon. Fiddy made his mark. <laughs> yeah. Fiddy? Yes. 50 and I love you. Everyone, that's what, all I know about 50 Cent is the scene in Spy where Miranda just throws herself at him. <laughs> like, that's my knowledge of 50 Cent. 50 Cent, I love you. That's all you need to know. <laughs> just, you know, sitting in the airplane. He wants me. <laughs> <laughs> you did that so well. I've watched that film more times than is healthy. <laughs> but have you watched Miranda, her TV series? It is yeah, the best. Yeah. It, it, she's great. Such fun. Wow, it's such we fun. have deviated. We such have fun. deviated from the film. <laughs> We're talking about, talking about Miranda Hart. She's having <gasps> such fun. You want me? <laughs> okay, let's get this show back on track, people. Let's check out the upcoming releases in our trailer wrap. Here's the first look at Avengers: Infinity War. There was an idea to bring together a group of remarkable people to see if we could become something more. So when they needed us, we could fight the battles. That they never could. Defenses and get this man a shield. <gasps> oh my god, okay. I, I am. Think only dogs heard that response. I know, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm so excited. Um, I'm a massive Marvel fan. I know that Daniel and Jake have issues with it, but I don't care. <laughs> I'm huge, huge, huge Marvel fan. The DCEU can go eat a dick, I don't care about you guys. Um, and this is Some like... of us don't have a problem with that, thank you very much. <laughs> 
And this one is like the creme de la creme of the creme de la creme in terms of Marvel films. It's reported to have 67 Marvel characters in this film alone. And a budget of $4 billion for the cast. (laughs) (laughs) Four gazillion trillion billion. Doesn't that worry you though? No, this is... Spent the last decade building towards. I, I know, but I'm with you. I mean, my opinion on the trailer is se- kind of separate. It's I don't think it's a good trailer at all. I think it's a really badly made trailer. But I am excited because I love what the Russo brothers have done with the Captain America films. The two writers in the film have written all the Captain America films, which I think the Captain America films are the strongest in the whole franchise. Mm-hmm. But 60-something Marvel characters? Like, yeah. it was pretty incredible that they pulled off Civil War. I remember watching that and going, ah, oh, this is the thing that Joss Whedon could never solve, which was how do you make a Marvel film with this many heroes in it and make it work? I have a certain degree of confidence, but I still wonder, is this not just going to be too big for them to handle? But it's also ushering in the next generation because we've seen, you know, like Marvel, the Marvel um, Cinematic Universe has always talked about phases, phase one, phase two, phase three. This is the film. This is kind of like the beginning of the end of this part. Like all of the characters that we've come to know and love over the last decade are on their way out and the new ones are on their way in. And this is this is sort of part one. Avengers 4 is going to be sort of part two of the ushering, the um, changing of the guards, the passing of the baton, if you will, of the all these fabulous new characters. Come on, Jess. More sports cliches. Come on. <laughs> yeah, no, sorry. Um, who's on first? With, with the phases, though, like it's like, you know, these like Captain America and Thor and Iron Man and whoever, like they're, they're worth like so much money now. And so I just can't, don't really believe that these characters are going to be phased out in a serious way like it's kind of like marvel just going okay we'll, we'll trap them in some sort of lamo like pocket dimension or you know down a hole somewhere or whatever and um you know have like a captain america free year and um we'll, we'll bring them pluck them out when we feel yeah, like pretty much. they need a I, you know a new wing on their mansion look i have Ooh. confidence in the russo brothers because they showed a tremendous amount of intelligence with the two films they've done so far but I don't know. It also worries me the fact that this is the thing they've been building up to the whole time. Is it just going to be too much? Is it just going to be overblown? Is it going to just be ticking every single box imaginable? I mean, the great thing about the Captain America films was that no one cared and was paying attention. So they were able to make really interesting films the same way that James Gunn was able to do the same thing with Guardians of the Galaxy. And again, mm. the trailer itself is really lazy. It's not even trying mm. to sell you the film. It's badly edited. It's made up entirely of shots of superheroes either looking very pensive off into the distance or running in slow motion with the least impressive debut of, you know, a a character which we've been watching on 30-second snippets for fucking 20-something years, which is, you know, this giant pink penis person. But, like, even, like, when Thanos walked on screen, I went, oh, like, I thought this guy was a big deal. It's, yeah, I just, Mm. the trailer, I don't think is a success at all. I went, oh, I'm less excited by this. I was bored by it. I I just, I was just kind of, it was a bit of a shoulder shrug for me, I guess. Charlie, what did you think? I think it's pretty much like every other Avengers trailer from the last few years. Like, it doesn't tell me anything about the film it doesn't make me excited for the film i I don't mind the films themselves they're probably the better parts of the whole marvel franchise but it definitely didn't sell me to go buy a ticket for it that's for sure put it this way it it 
it lacked, it's presence. It lacked the punch and the spunk and the surprise of the trailer for Black Panther, which was a great trailer mm, and like yeah. had a great punch to yeah. it. Like I just watched that and went, oh, after all the Thor trailers and the Black Panther trailers, this is what you come up with? Really? Leave them wanting more. <laughs> and they'll leave them wanting something at all. God. There will be so much more. It's inevitably going to be hours in duration. You can catch Avengers Infinity War in Australian cinemas from the 25th of April, 2018. Now let's take a look at Love, Simon. My name's Simon. I'm just like you, except I have one huge ass secret. Hey! Nobody knows I'm gay. Sometimes I feel like I'm stuck on a Ferris wheel. One minute I'm on top of the world, the next I'm at rock bottom. I've been thinking about why I haven't come out yet. Maybe part of me wants to hold on to who I've always been, just a little longer. No matter what, announcing who you are to the world is pretty terrifying, because what if the world doesn't like you? I've always been a massive sucker for these teen drama films. 2013, my favorite film of that year was Perks of Being a Wallflower. I loved Me and Earl and the Dying Girl. So, I mean, already this was the kind of film that's, you know, my jam. But a friend of mine actually posted this on my Facebook wall. I was kind of vaguely aware of it, but he posted it on my wall and I went, oh, that's unusual for him to do that. So I watched the trailer and I found it from a technical perspective, terrific trailer from a narrative perspective, really interesting film. But the big surprise for me was having a character say in the trailer that they're gay. It's not a joke. It's not them throwing shade at somebody. It's a character just saying it and a trailer built entirely around making it clear to you that the main character of this film is not a heterosexual and that that's the point of the film. You know, even the Call Me By Your Name trailer was a little coy to begin with about whether it's about queer characters. This one just puts it out there and it was quite a surprise to me and to realizing that this is not something we get to see very often in advertising for a film where the fact that it's about a gay character is actually the point. Um, did any of you have that same reaction to it? I can't say that I specifically had that reaction to it. I mean, I, like you, latched onto the fact that it was kind of this teen drama, but it was told from the perspective of a gay guy, I guess. Um, it looks like it could be a really interesting film. It has a lot of potential. And I love a good piece of queer cinema as much as the next homosexual, but I didn't like the part of the trailer where it says, from the producers of The Fault in Our Stars. That is the one part that concerns me in the fact that Possibly they may take the schmaltz up too far. I mean, that may just be that they're, they're attached to it in some vague way. I mean, the director is behind a lot of the um, the CWDC TV series, all of which have a, tremendous, a great amount of schmaltz in them, but they're all a lot of fun. And the writing team is actually the writing team behind This Is Us. I've not watched it, but I've heard that it is a sentimental and quite brutal show. So, I don't know. I mean, it also, the, yes. the, the cinematography looks really great. It's really beautifully edited. There seems to be a lot of care in it. Mm-hmm. It went from being a film that I was vaguely aware of to being very high on the list of films I'm looking forward to for next year, particularly coming off the back of a year where we've had Call Me By Your Name, God's Own Country, um, Beach Rats, uh, B, you know, BBM and um, Fantastic Woman are around the corner. The director, um, Greg Bellatani. So, he's the guy who is the like the primary kind of architect behind those DC CW um, shows like, you know, Arrow and Flash and Supergirl and that type of Mm -hmm. stuff. And uh, he is gay. And he's also 
I guess, made an effort to make those TV shows, uh, which are based on like comics that are just like pure, you know, white bread comics, like sort of, you know, white, like, you know, primarily white heterosexual comics. But he's like sort of um, made an effort for those TV shows to have like a great amount of like diversity in terms of like homosexual characters and um, characters of different races and things like that. So like the guy's like a pretty socially aware creative dude. It's, he's also partly involved in Riverdale as well, which is a good uh, indication because, I mean, that in itself, as much as it is a oftentimes very cliche and very silly show, it's surprisingly also quite a astute show, um, particularly when it, yeah, it comes to representation mm. and sexuality. So, yeah, I think that everything about the team kind of suggests to me that maybe this might be something special. And, you know, it, it's been a while since we've had one of these really uh, punchy, powerful teen dramas, which uh, every few years we get a really good one. So hopefully this is it. Plus, it's just nice to see Nick Robinson not playing an asshole in a film. Because <laughs> I think I've always thought he was a really good actor, just doing really bad characters. So I warm to him instantly in this trailer, and I hope that it makes me an emotional mess. Let's hope it lives up to everything that we want it to, which we'll hopefully see in Australian cinemas in 2018. All right, finally, let's take a look at the trailer for Mary Magdalene. Your family says you grapple with the demon. If there's a demon in me, it's always been there. There are no demons here. Mary of Magdala. She will do God's will. Why shouldn't she follow me? People will judge us. Are we so different from men? You must teach us different things. <laughs> Sometimes it's as if I'm not here at all. Is that what it feels like to be one with God? No one has ever asked me how it feels. So this is from the, from the director of Lion, uh, which also starred uh, Rooney Mara. Barely. I mean, barely starred Rooney Mara, but sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was going to say, like, um, Rooney Mara just had, like, not much of a role. Um, she was kind of the, the girlfriend, the understanding girlfriend. Her job was to stand there and hold What's-His-Face while he emoted everywhere. What's-His-Face? It's Dev Patel. <laughs> Dev Patel. I don't remember much about that part of the film. <laughs> I love the film, by the way. I love the film, but I did I not love him in it. I see kind of like Mary Magdalene as being in this kind of, you know, he's gone, okay, well, I owe you one for that because you're a bit, you know, underserved in that movie. So I'm going to like cast you as like the edgiest kind of, you know, prostitute role I can think of. And that is like, you know, Mary Magdalene. They seem to downplay the whole working gal thing in that trailer. Like not once did they hint at it or mention it. That would be because like it's not true. That is a fabrication we com- that was created. What is and isn't true in the Bible? Yes, a lot of the Bible isn't true. <laughs> thank you very much. Um, so, uh, from memory, really, the decision a lot like the lot, the, 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 the divinity of Christ and um, the the naming of Salome as linking back to the National Theatre Live review we did a few weeks ago. Um, I have a from memory. Mary Magdalene was only named as a prostitute. Once the Bible was constructed and when they were trying to basically come up with the watertight story. And I think it was to remove the concept that women were important figures of Christ's church and Christ's teaching. From memory, I think I found this out from the fucking Da Vinci Code. But I think I looked into it because I went... (laughs) Okay, that's interesting. I'd like to know <laughs> Which more is about also that. 100% um, true. But yeah, the idea being that they were trying to downplay the idea that women were uh, intrinsic to Christ's teachings. And that also links to the, when they started to play with the idea of original sin and the idea that um, well, women were inherently sinful. So I have a feeling that may be the reason why 
it's not mentioned in the trailer and it may be the reason why he's making the film. Because okay. realistically, the traditional story that we know is problematic to the hilt. I never saw Passion of the Christ. Like, was, did Monica Bellucci play Mary Magdalene in, yes, in Passion of the Christ? Did. Yes, was that, Or am I just imagining that? Yeah. I mean, that's also the problem with this trailer is that it brings up memories of that film. And I quite liked Passion of the Christ, but it was not an easy film. Yeah. So I just want to talk about the black elephant in the room. Why is it that Chiwetel Ejiofor is the only person of colour in this film? <laughs> Yeah, um, Jesus' mother, the only one with an accent. There's quite a few Middle Eastern actors in it. Um, it's got quite. It actually has got quite an ethnically diverse cast. It just seems to be that they're the one they're pushing with because he's an Oscar nominee and because he's a recognisable name. Um, the accents were what was well, more bizarre. Joaquin mm. Phoenix sounds like he's on something. He sounds like he's. Oh, it's Joaquin Phoenix. He probably was on something. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's true. <laughs> Honestly. Yeah, it's. It seems. I mean, again, it's hard to kind of tell from a trailer. It seems a very confused way to sell the film. I'm not entirely sure what it is that they were selling with it, mm. and again, not a particularly well put together film. But it's you know it's Garth Davies, so that instantly grabs my interest. And it's got two female screenwriters, so at least there's a female voice in some mm. respect in this in a story that is about a misunderstood, misrepresented woman. As we become like more and more like um, I guess aware of like casting and stuff and socially conscious, I always think these movies are going to become like harder and harder to mm. cast because you know there, there are arguments that Jesus was actually you know black or at least pretty mm. brown. He wasn't an Anglo-Saxon person at all because that part, yeah. <laughs> well, you can catch Mary Magdalene in Australian cinemas from the 22nd of March, 2018, just in time for Easter. And finally, there's a new trailer out for All the Money in the World, this time featuring Christopher Plummer. We all wondered if Ridley Scott could do it, but it looks like he's actually pulled it off. This is amazing. Like, really, like, if you think, like, it's quite amazing that he, that he, he actually did this. You know, he comes in and goes... At ahead of schedule from all sounds. Yeah. I mean, it really does emphasise the fact that this is the only person who could ever do this. But how did you guys react to what to seeing him in the trailer? Because I had quite a surprising response. What did you guys think when he popped up? I was fascinated by the idea that Christopher Plummer doesn't have any prosthetics on his face uh, like Kevin Spacey did. Mm. And I wondered if mm. it was due to time constraints because of the reshoot and he didn't have time mm. to spend eight hours in a makeup chair every day having, you know, a fake chin and nose and whatever else put on him. Or due to the fact that Spacey's prosthetics were horrendously bashed online. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe, Before yeah. He was but also, you know, the time constraint thing. <laughs> it, does, it does call into question why they didn't cast an age-appropriate actor to begin with. I saw this like sort of old man come on the screen and I just went to myself, oh my god, Ridley Scott has managed to cast an old man as an old man. Truly, <laughs> this is like a visionary filmmaker. For the I mean, first he, time he, I, I guess he sort of went the, you know, the, he went the long way around. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, like, he, didn't, he didn't go for Guy Pearce. He didn't sort of like, you know, just like slather Guy Pearce and rubber again. Uh, I mean, okay. he like, tried it with Kevin Spacey, so he took the long way around. But then he eventually got there and cast an old man as an old man. And that is why they pay Ridley Scott the big bucks. Inspired. You know, I was blown away. <laughs> mm. But it, I remember when I saw the first TV spot with the footage of him cutting and I felt like I was watching one of those like fan-made trailers off the internet or one of those funny or die trailers. Because <laughs> it was like the same shot and he's standing there like, you know, you know, they're like, what will you give to you know have your grandson back? And he just goes, nothing. And I just go, oh my god, it's like literally what someone has remade this trailer with like a fan edit. But already I thought he was doing a better job than Kevin Spacey did. Because Kevin Spacey was always like, it was weird. It was weird in that. 
I will say it's impressive the turnaround time they've had on this reshoot. But the one thing which stood out to me about this trailer was, regardless of the actors in it, it's actually a lot less interesting a trailer to watch than the original one. I th- yeah. I thought it was like a lot more shambolic, a lot more chaotic. Like maybe they have other things on their mind at the moment, but still, I don't think it sells the movie as well as the first trailer did. It doesn't concoct the period as well as the first trailer. Um, doesn't no, give you... certainly some- amped the excitement factor up. But the fact that they've gone through this whole process is just this monumental marketing ploy for them too. You know, it's going to get twice as many people going to the cinemas now. The fact that they know that this has happened. So, Mm. you know, they've got to see that final result. They've got to see if it's like an extended version of a YouTube video that's been fan made or if it's an actual movie. And look, I remember the first trailer Mm. emphasized Kevin Spacey a lot. It seems like now they're trying to flip it to make people more intrigued by the film, to be less intrigued by that, to buy Spacey's obviously now non-presence. Um, yeah, it's a weird one. It's it was a, it was a, it's a weird piece of advertising. And to check out all those trailers and more, head to youtube.com forward slash make the switch AU. I feel it in my fingers. I feel it in my toes. Christmas is all around us, and the list of favourite movies to watch this time of year grows. Isn't it magical, boys and girls? The lights are on the tree, there's glitter and wrapping paper offcuts everywhere, and love actually will inevitably be gracing our TV screens any day now. So what are your top Christmas movie picks? Oh, I'm so excited. This is one of my favorite. Yes, I'm going to call it, calling it a genre. It's my favorite movie genres ever. So we're going to, uh, if you're listening at home, on the bus, on the train, wherever, we're about to give you, get, grab a pen and paper because we're about to give you our, our top Christmas movie picks. We're going to give you a classic. We're going to give you an alternative. I'm going to start us off. Classic, classic movie film. Okay, I'm actually going to go a little bit off book because this isn't a classic yet but i'm pushing for it it's uh it is 12 years old and it's i think it's kind of getting up there as it's um you know finding it's it's a bigger and bigger audience because this movie is one of the funniest movies ever i laugh just as hard now at it as i did 12 years ago when it first came out so my top quote-unquote classic christmas movie is just friends oh okay yeah, anyone seen it? It's got um, Anna Faris in it, Ryan Reynolds, Amy Smart. You guys remember Amy Smart? Amy Smart. It is seriously one of the funniest movies you will ever see in your entire life. Anyone? Back no, me up. Sorry, I've never seen it. I have no idea what you're <laughs> I remember serious? it, but okay. I don't know. I, did, don't, I didn't see it. Oh, man. Man, oh, man, oh, man. Anna Faris plays a crazy pop star. <laughs> Um, like, like this seriously insane pop star and Ryan Reynolds and her end up getting stuck in New Jersey, which is where Ryan Reynolds grew up back when he was f- a fat teenager and now he's hot and skinny and really like rich and bags all the babes. And he's trying to get to his high school crush slash best friend, Amy Smart, who put him in the friend zone all those years ago. And he reckons that this is like now he's in after being away for 10 years and becoming like hot and skinny and stuff. And so he's trying to get with her, but he's got like this crazy brother and crazy Anna Faris and it all goes haywire. And it's seriously, you will wet yourself. It's so funny. <laughs> Anna Faris is queen. <laughs> well, that's true. She's yes, that, queen. That's true. Yes, queen. All right. So none of you guys have seen, have barely heard of Just Friends. And I'm standing, well, not standing, I'm sitting here because the cheese stands alone. But now you guys get to go out, find it and fall in love with it just as much as I did. Charlie, your classic Christmas movie, go. For you guys who know me well, uh, 
Christmas is not my favourite time of year. Hocus Pocus is not a Christmas movie. You can't say that. <laughs> <laughs> They're wearing red, okay? <laughs> so as much as I would love any kind of Grinch movie to be my favourite <laughs> Christmas film, I don't think there's actually a good one as of yet. There is another one coming in 2018, so maybe that will be an improvement on Jim Carrey's. But my choice is actually one that does go back to my childhood, back when Christmas was a much more innocent time. Uh, It is Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, uh, which is actually a 1964 animation. It is extremely Oh, the stop-motion one. Um, Oh, they're great. It's like the kind of claymation one. Yeah, it's uh, it's spectacular. It's full of these amazing songs which were written for for this movie. Um, And weirdly, I I started watching it again a couple of days ago in preparation for this, and I was actually able to sit there and, like, quote and sing along to all these things. I watched it so many times as a kid. It was one of those ones we had on VHS that we got for, like, $2 from a discount store somewhere, and it just was on loop every single Christmas. And it's adorable. It's really cute and very innocent, and it also has some of the most ridiculous things that you've ever heard of in a film, like an elf who wants to be a dentist <laughs> and the affordable <laughs> snowman. It's so obscure and ridiculous and funny and adorable that I couldn't go past recommending this one. It's a, it's a standard in the US. Like, that's almost, it defines mm. Christmas for a lot of people for many generations, mm. that particular TV special. Yeah. I, I, I'm the same. I remember, well, I think we had it on VHS as well, and I watched it. Regardless whether it was Christmas or not. I remember, forgot about the elf who wanted to be a dentist. I've never seen it. It's very weird. All right, Daniel, what's your pick? Classic. Goo. Well, look, I had to think about this and I just keep coming back to the same one, which is kind of lazy because it's the one I was talking about last week. And that's the Muppet Christmas Carol. I just love it. I, t- I mean, on top of the fact that it's a really great adaptation of A Christmas Carol, I also think it's the best Muppets film. It casts mm-hmm. all of the Muppets in really great parts. Uh, the music is really good. Michael Caine is great in it and actually giving the Muppets the time of day and actually not just kind of phoning in his performance. It's dark, it's funny, it's clever, it's silly, uh, but it has a really beautiful heart to it. Uh, yeah, that's mine. Muppet Christmas Carol. It's, I, it's one that I try and watch every Christmas. I actually tried to get Paul to see it because he's never seen it, um, my fiancé. And we... I made the mistake of putting it him. on while we were doing the Christmas tree last year. So he still hasn't seen it because he was too busy focused <laughs> on the fucking Christmas tree. On the colourful, bright decorations. Yeah. While I'm like singing all the songs. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Muppet Christmas Carol. That's my classic pick. Nice. Okay. Excellent choice. Jake, go. So uh, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation starring <laughs> Chevy Chase. <laughs> <laughs> as Clark, uh, Clark Griswold and um, Randy Quaid as Cousin Eddie. There are a lot of Christmas, Christmas movies out there, but I would say this is easily the best one ever made, I think. And um, also the last of the National Lampoon series to actually be called a National Lampoon film and written by John Hughes, if you're um, a film mm. snob. Yes, my idol. Yeah. If you're, if you're a film snob and you're like, oh, I'm better than National Lampoon, uh, this is written by John Hughes, so it actually does have some kind of, um, yeah. some kind of cred. Um, just a really, really funny movie. It feels like a stepping stone to Home Alone as well. Like, there's actually quite a few similarities between them. Yeah, just like sort of Christmas, like sort of hijinks and traps and almost kind of like a bit of a home invasion vibe with the unwelcome family members. And personally, I just think it touches on these like really classic themes of these family get-togethers where it's a bunch of people you might not really like, but you trap with them over Christmas, so you kind of have to make do and... Um, 
that kind of interesting like you know dynamic that occurs yeah so national lampoon's christmas vacation is my pick oh great choice and that is a classic okay now we're going to give you like a little alternative twist so this where christmas might not be the theme but it is present uh again i'm going to kick us off okay ready one of the greatest films ever and it features christmas lethal weapon boom mic drop (laughs) so you can tell it's christmas because the the beginning of the movie starts with a christmas song and then it has you know the girl with her tatas hanging out jumping off a balcony and killing herself so you know it's a fun movie for the family um (laughs) it is a buddy cop comedy if you want to put it there um but yes christmas is the background uh sort of theme of the of the film so Lethal Weapon. So good, they made four mm. of them. Would up, would up, would up. <laughs> <laughs> yes, because quality comes from quantity. Yeah. <laughs> Damn straight. Shane Black was the dude who wrote it, and like all Shane Black's movies yes. are like awesome Christmas movies. Um, Lethal Weapon's obviously the best one, but all of them <laughs> mm-hmm. are, are have really good Christmas themes. I'd never thought of that. You're so right. They all set a Christmas. Yeah. Iron Man 3. <laughs> Iron Man 3. Um, yeah. Really? <laughs> All of these movies have Christmas themes. Um, it's like his, his, Just uh, wait thing. for the Christmas part in The Predator. That's what we're all waiting for. How can he weave Christmas into The Predator? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. That's um, that's one to. That's probably a future Christmas classic. Uh, Predator, Predators. Hey, Jacob Tremblay. Here's your Christmas present. Oh, thank you. I'll open it up. Predator comes out. <laughs> all, right, all right, Charlie. What's your alternative Christmas flick? Well, funnily enough, I also have a Shane Black. Yeah, friend, do it, and baby. I also have a very family unfriendly film (laughs) it's not the first time i've talked about this on the podcast it will not be the last it is kiss kiss bang bang yes (laughs) it is easily one of my top 10 favorite movies of all time because it is the only comedy crime neo-noir christmas (laughs) film ever um basically we follow this guy who's brought over to hollywood to become an actor who is um shadowing a private eye for a role that he's up for and they actually get tangled up in this real life murder investigation but um it's set at christmas time it has michelle monaghan in some of the most ludicrous christmas outfits that you will (laughs) ever see um she is honestly extremely unclad in a lot of this film and there's also one of the freakiest christmas parties that you will ever see on film uh it's utterly disturbing but it's also this beautifully heartwarming film that you should not share with your family because it's full of killing and murder and swearing and people losing fingers to dogs and incest and pedophilia and um, oh yes there's a bit of that too sorry and gay perry and um (laughs) all of the above all right shane black the unofficial king of christmas i love it all right, let's keep this good times going. Daniel, what you got for us? Okay, well, I do have one definite Christmas tradition, and that is that every year I watch this film on Christmas Day. Someone else suggested one that may usurp it. Someone mentioned to me that Carol is set at Christmas, so maybe I might have to throw Carol into the mix. This is one I do watch every year, my Christmas film, my number one Christmas film, and that is Eyes Wide Shut. What? Stanley Kubrick's <laughs> final film, his... Two hour, 40 minute sex epic is set at Christmas. So every year, I watch you in the mood for that family gathering. Mm. I watch Eyes Wide Shut because I often have to spend Christmas by myself because I work and because of my family interstate. Um, So when I do, I, you know, settle at home, put on my Blu ray, and, you know, (laughs) 
watch those people with masks walk around going, oh, wah, 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 wah. and you know, it's yeah. I just thought, what's the Close most? The blinds. I remember one day going, what's the most subversive Christmas film I could possibly think of, and went, wait, Eyes Wide Shut is set at Christmas. I know this because Nicole Kidman and Tom Cruise are shopping for Christmas presents when Nicole Kidman tells him that they need to go home and fuck, and that's when the film ends. So yeah, there you go. Take that, Shane Black. Stanley Kubrick's the king of Christmas. Oh my God, you sick little puppy. All right, Jake, go. What you got? Okay, so uh, I think last week or the week before I mentioned Black Christmas, an awesome horror movie set on uh, Christmas Eve. So this time I'm going to go for a movie called Inside. It's like a French horror movie. It's got um, Beatrice Dahl chasing a heavily pregnant woman around a house on Christmas Eve. Um, wacky hijinks ensue. It's kind of like Home Alone, but not really. It's actually kind of really gross and scary. And oh, um, a pregnant woman. Yeah, and extremely. Uh, it's just a, a super unpredictable horror movie with strong Christian values and lots of uh, Christmassy <laughs> themes. So um, yeah, that's my recommendation for, a, <clears throat> for alternative wait, choice. Wait, can I just? I've never, I've never seen or heard of this film. But can you tell me? Does the bad guy at any stage in the film slip and fall on the puddle of her broken? Water. Oh, Because that would be awesome. Uh, oh, my God. I want to see that. No, she <laughs> doesn't. No, she doesn't. I'm, I, it doesn't go that far. That's, that's, wait, that's, that's way too it. gross for, for this movie. Then why not? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Why not? Why has no, no one thought of this before? If you're going to have some poor pregnant woman running for her life around a house at Christmas time, I want to see a bad guy slip and fall on her broken water. <laughs> My God. <laughs> I think that one's all yours, Jess. So that's the end of that segment. Thanks so much for You're joining us. alone in this segment. The Switchcast is now over. Because I'm all alone. No. And you... Oh, and yet another adult... You judged before. me for having a sick person for watching <laughs> Eyes Wide Shut. <laughs> Nothing says Christmas quite like up, Stanley anyway. Kubrick. Nothing says life oh. quite like Stanley Kubrick. <laughs> All right, listeners, those were some varied choices, but we've given you classics, we've given you alternatives, we've given you... (laughs) We've gone across the board. Judge us if you will, but now let us judge you. We want you to hit us up on social media and send us your picks for best classic and best alternative Christmas flicks that you're going to be watching during this magical time of year. We have some great giveaways up for grabs this week. First up, we have five copies of American Made on Blu-ray on offer. Tom Cruise stars in the true story of Barry Seal, not a maid, but a pilot who's recruited by the CIA in the 80s to provide intelligence on the communist threat in Central America. He soon finds himself in charge of one of the biggest covert CIA operations in the history of the United States. I'm so proud of that joke. It just came to me. What am I going to say? I'm a genius. I did not get that. What I didn't the get joke? the joke. What was the joke? Oh, uh, I said stars in the true story of Barry Seal, not a maid, but a pilot. It's called. It's called American Made. That's terrible, Daniel. Oh, I'm okay. so glad I didn't hear that. Right. Yeah. I just had this image of Tom Cruise in a maid's outfit, and I thought it was really funny. Oh, of course you did. We also have five copies of Forty Seven Meters Down on Blu-ray to give away. Fun-loving sisters Kate and Lisa, played by Mandy Moore and Claire Holt, are on holiday in Mexico when they decide to go cage diving with great white sharks. But their trip quickly turns from a dream into a nightmare when the cage breaks free of the boat and plummets to the ocean floor. Kate and Lisa are trapped with less than an hour of oxygen left in their tanks. 
with the only way back to the safety of the boat through 47 metres of shark-infested waters. And finally, to celebrate our sixth anniversary, yay, we're giving, woo! You, woo, we're giving you the chance to win the ultimate 80s prize pack. Yeah, we have a set of 10 classic films, including Breakfast Club, Back to the Future, E.T., Jurassic Park, Jaws, and Ferris Bueller's Day Off. With each Blu-ray in retro VHS packaging, you'll need two things to enter. You may want to grab a pen. Do you have a pen? I'll wait. Okay, first, tell us your favourite classic movie quote, get to the chopper, and then give us that day's special code word. You can enter every damn day of the giveaway using these code words. And for those of you listening out there, for Thursday's code word, it is Indianapolis. For all the details on this and all of our fantastic giveaways, head to maketheswitch.com.au forward slash comps now. And if you haven't seen our brand new website, head over to maketheswitch.com.au now. It's a beautiful new look for both our mobile and desktop sites. So check it out and let us know what you think. Now, before we go, we'd like to offer you some cinematic inspiration with each of us suggesting one film that you should see this week and why. Mm. For me this week, I'm going back to 2014. It is a tiny little film, which I door every time I watch it because it is just so quirky and so so different so out of the box uh, it's called God Help the Girl it made me fall in love with Emily Browning she is just this amazing girl who kind of escapes this psychiatric institute goes and chases this band down and eventually becomes part of the band and it's just this this really lovely friendship between three people um, it also has Ollie Alexander and Hannah Murray in it, who are, they're all fantastic. They have such great on-screen chemistry. And it was directed by Stuart Murdoch, who is actually part of the rock band Bell and Sebastian, which is why the music in this is so good. But from the onset, you just, uh, you go into it with this opening musical number from Emily Browning, and it is amazing. You will get transfixed and you will just love every moment of this ride so god help the girl god help you if you don't go see it <laughs> that's my pick for the week jessica what about you jessica oh so formal um okay so i know everyone's thinking about christmas <laughs> christmas at the moment and christmas movies as we've already spoken about but once we get over that hurdle you gotta look towards new year's eve and my annual tradition on new year's eve with my beau is we sit down and we watch <clears throat> when harry met sally it is a New Year's <laughs> Eve movie. It was made in 1989. It is an absolute classic. And yes, it is the movie where Meg Ryan fakes an orgasm in Katz's Deli. If you have not seen this movie, for shame, you've had decades to do it. But I'll just give you a quick run through. It is a Rob Reiner film, the incomparable Rob Reiner, who gave us The Princess Bride, This Is Spinal Tap, and Stand By Me, just to name a few, made this film. It was also co-written by Nora Ephron. Oh, She's amazing, and it stars our dearly departed Carrie Fisher and Bruno Kirby. Um, but it stars Meg Ryan, Billy Crystal. We love them both. It follows their friendship over two decades. They sort of meet each other. They hate each other. They keep meeting each other at several um, stages of their life until eventually they become best friends. And it's about, yeah, this beautiful friendship that they have together. And it's a wonderful romantic comedy. It is hilarious. It's absolutely beautiful. And it ends on New Year's Eve, which is why it's my annual tradition. And if you have not seen it, everyone has to, has to, has to, has to go out and see the classic When Harry Met Sally. <laughs> Boy, Sam puts up with a lot. 
He loves that movie. You shush. <gasps> All right, Daniel, what about you for this week? Uh, well, I was reminded a few days ago about how much I really responded and loved this film, so I am going to recommend this week Steven Spielberg's 2005 film War of the Worlds. Hmm, that's a good one. One of his most underrated films, I think. That's it. I'm done. You can go. <laughs> keep going. Yeah. Finally, Jake, what have you got for us this week? Um, so this week I talked about anime and Christmas movies. So I'm going to recommend a uh, anime Christmas movie called Tokyo Godfathers. Uh, it came out in 2003. It's by a director called Satoshi Kon, who has passed away, but he was one of, um, if not you know, the greatest anime directors. It's about three vagabonds who uh, or outsiders uh, living in Tokyo. They've fallen upon hard times, and on Christmas Eve, they find a baby in some garbage. Uh, the baby's alive, so that's pretty cool, and um, they decide to try and find the baby's parents. Really awesome movie. Um, it's funny, it's sad. It has like a really nice message as well. It's like that um, uniquely Japanese thing where all members of society sort of uh, you know pitch together to, to help some, like, you know, a stranger out. Yeah, just a really, really touching, um, touching film and well worth uh, seeking out. Tokyo Godfathers. Cool. Well, some fantastic suggestions there. And you can find the links to all the articles we've talked about on this week's podcast at maketheswitch.com.au. Please subscribe to Switchcast on iTunes or your favorite podcast platform. And don't forget to rate us and stay in touch on Twitter. I'm at Charlie underscore David. Jess. At Miss Jess underscore Switch. Daniel. At Daniel Lemon. And Jake. At Jake Chatty. Like it? Follow it. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube at MakeTheSwitchAU to stay up to date with all the latest reviews, news, trailers, and giveaways. And you can find all the notes and links to everything we've discussed on this week's podcast, as well as other episodes, by visiting switchcast.com.au. On next week's show, it's finally here. Star Wars The Last Jedi bursts into cinemas, and we find out how Ryan Johnson has handled the much-loved franchise return. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you all next week. Bye.